0: Welcome to our community. We hope you enjoy this message from our special guest. Good to see you back, if you were here last week. And if you weren't here last week, well, yeah, give yourself a hand. And if you weren't here last week, I'm glad you're here this week. But, uh, yeah, you can give them a hand, too. Well, we just like to clap for people. But... um, Last week we talked about the presence of God, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that has always been in this world and wants to reside within us. And what I didn't tell you last week was very important, so make sure you really understand the connection here. What I didn't tell you last week is the reason God wants to empower you, the reason God wants to fill you the reason God's Holy Spirit wants to be present with you is because he wants you to be present with people. It's kind of quiet in here. But doesn't that make perfect sense to you? God is not giving you his power and his presence just so you can be all alone with him. Peter tried that, remember? Remember? On the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Elijah, there was Moses, there was Jesus, uh, there, was, there was all, and, and, and Jesus was transfigured. And Peter said, Wow, this is so good. Let's build three tabernacles and just stay here. There's that word tabernacle again. And uh, let's just be in your presence. And of course, when you think about it, that's a little selfish. It's just all about me. It's just all about me being with God. And it's critical and it's vital and it is important that you go into that prayer room and that you shut the door and that you spend time with God. But when you have spent time with God, God wants you to spend time with people. And you can't do that without his power and without his presence, but with his power, you can do that. One time Jesus was asked, What's the most important law? Now look, there are over 600 laws recorded in the Bible. And Jesus didn't hesitate. He said right away, most important law, what? Love God. That's number one. And then without even being asked, he said, second thing, very much like it, what? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. In fact, he said all of the law and the prophets, all of the Bible, all of the things that we try to teach and learn, everything is summed up in those two things. Now, you think about the Bible. You think about the parts of the Bible that you've read, that you remember, and I promise you, every single verse relates to one of two things. How do I treat God and how do I treat people? That's it. That's the whole Bible the whole bible is just teaching you those two things how do i love god and how do i love people what distinguishes us from other gods and religions i said last week was the presence of god what distinguishes us as people as christians is how we treat other people did you hear that there is a difference between you and I they will know that we are Christians because we love each other but they'll really know we're Christians when we love them even when they don't love me and so those are the two most important things in the world God wants us to be different he wants to be known among the nations And that will be done as his power resides within us and as we love other people. Biblical love means devoting yourself to the well-being of other people, even when they don't love you back. Now look, I kind of expect that last week we were going to get a lot more amens and a lot more, wow, goosebumps. Because we love talking about this special presence of God being with us. But I'm telling you, God is just as concerned and just as committed to loving you, but to loving everyone. God so loved the world that Jesus came. And so God loves to be with you, and God loves his presence to dwell in you, but God wants you to take that presence, and he wants you to be present in other people's lives with his presence. That's how he wants to be there, through you. And so that's how we come to understand that God wants us to love him, but God also wants us to love other people. A Bible definition of love, I believe, is to seek the welfare of other people before yourself. Now look, there's a, there's a verse in James, as, I'm off my notes here, so this could take a while, but no. Uh, there's a verse in James that says, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? Now maybe that's John. How can you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love man whom you have seen? i gotta be, I got to be honest with you. I've thought about that verse a lot. And I kind of think, I, it, it, I believe the Bible's correct everywhere. But there, that, that one verse, I almost think, well, actually, <laughs> actually, I love God because God's always been good to me. So it's easy for me to love God that I haven't seen because God loves me and he's been good to me. But when it comes to loving people, come on, be honest. Some people, some people are hard to love. And uh, sometimes I'm one of those people that's hard to love. So, you know, but anyway, I'm just saying I think a Bible definition of love is to seek the welfare of other people before yourself. Think about the life of Jesus. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Every story you read about Jesus, he's putting people above himself. He's putting people and their welfare above his own. Let me show you what that looked like in the Old Testament. All right, let's start there real quick. And let's understand what does it look like to love people? Because love is, sometimes we get confused. We think that's an emotion and we think that's a feeling. But when God talks about love, he's talking about action. He's talking about doing things. And he wants us to love other people in action, in our lives, in the way we live. There was uh, a couple of prophets that lived at the same time. One was named Isaiah, one was named Micah. They lived, they were contemporaries, they lived at the same time. And they lived at a time of Israel when when the people of Israel were very, very, uh, they were very broken. And the way they treated God and the way they were treating other people was just horrible. In fact, it was about that time that God was getting ready to judge the nation of the northern tribes of Israel and allow the kingdom of Assyria to come capture them and take them away. And it was because of the way they were living. Because they had been disobeying all of the rules and the laws that God had given them. Isaiah and... Micah spoke about violating temple worship laws and laws about how they were treating each other. Again, it's the whole Bible. It's just those two things. And his message was one of judgment because they were disobeying the law. And you know this verse. You know, the people of Micah's day were going around pretending like they were good Jewish Israelites. And they were giving their sacrifice, maybe, and they were doing things in the temple but they were violating so much of the law that God had given them. The law that was intended not to save them, but to show them how to love God and how to love people. And so they were probably saying things like, well, you know, you talk about judgment, you talk about the, you know, God's going to judge us. Well, what do you want from us? What is it you want us to do? And Micah says, He has told you. <laughs> He has told you, O man. In other words, you know what you're supposed to be doing. I'll tell you, but you have known for hundreds of years what God is talking about. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, you know that verse. That's just a well-known verse. In fact, sometimes we read that verse and we think, you know, those sound like three really nice, wonderful things. God wants you to do justly. God wants you to love mercy. And God wants you to walk humbly with him. Okay, got it, got it. No problem. See you later. (laughs) So what exactly does it mean to do justly? And I thought about that a lot recently because actually this is a sermon to David. I've Uh, Several months ago, I began to say, God, well, how do I love people? Because I began to realize what I just confessed to you, and that is, I don't always love people. God, I'm pretty good at loving people on the outside, you know, doing the right stuff. You know, helping people, I don't know, doing something. But I'm not so good at really loving people on the inside. And sometimes, remember we talked last week about that conversation that goes on in your head? Sometimes I would not want you to hear that conversation about how I think about people. And so I begin to say, God, that can't be good. I've been a Christian for a long, long time, God, but how do I love people, really love people? And uh, this is the verse that God put in my head. And it was almost like I was saying to you, God would say, well, I've already told you. <laughs> you got it right there. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Okay? Okay. God, may, may I just ask a question? What does it mean to do justly? What, what exactly is that? Well, Micah's contemporaries, the people of Micah's day, knew exactly what Micah was talking about. We're not talking about social justice, economic justice. That word is so thrown around, and at least in American culture. I'm not sure about in Asian culture, but, you know, there's all this talk about justice. Well, when Micah said this, he was referring specifically to the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, he would tell them exactly what he meant because Micah was saying that the kind of justice that I am telling you about is rooted in the law that Moses gave you hundreds of years ago. And so you know what I'm talking about. And Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, he says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands. Then he says, when you beat the olives from the trees, do not go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go back over the vines again, but leave what remains for the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. You ever hear that story about Ruth? You know, Ruth and Boaz, and Ruth is a young widow, and she comes back with her mom, Naomi, and they come into Boaz's field, and she says, glean there. And what was happening was it was harvest time and they were you know, going over the fields. Boaz workers were getting, gathering in all of the harvest. But then you never got it on the first time. That wasn't like they had modern day combines that would go through a field and in one time it got everything. They were going through and they picked these sheaves but there would always be some left. Well, Ruth went there and she was gleaning there. She was, Boaz was doing what the law said. Boaz was leaving something for the fatherless, for the poor, the widow. Isaiah and Micah told the people of God about that before the northern kingdom fell to Assyria. They continued in disobedience in their worship of God and in their treatment of people, and they fell. And Judah looked on and for 150 years refused to change and God set the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came and they conquered them and took them away in captivity for 70 years. And when they came back from captivity and they returned to the land, guess what? This is a tragic statement. But after 70 years of exile in Babylon and God sending them back to their land, back to, uh, to uh, to, to Jerusalem, they returned physically. But don't miss this. They returned physically, but their hearts had not changed. Captivity in Babylon had done nothing to change their hearts. They still had a divided heart. And that heart was as hard the day they came back from Babylon as the day they left. And so God sent another prophet named Zechariah. Like 200 years after Isaiah. And Zechariah says, this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless the foreigner, or the poor, and do not plot evil against one another. Look, God is not like a lot of us as parents. When we say something and we tell our kids to do something, (laughs) sometimes we mean it and sometimes we don't. And so sometimes kids know that. And so they know, what do I have to listen to and what do I don't have to listen to? God is not that way. Some 1,000 years earlier, God gave this law to Moses, and he never changed. God said, I want you to be careful how you treat people. I want you to be careful how you treat the most vulnerable people among you. Listen, can you imagine what it's like for God to love the whole world? and to watch those that he loved be mistreated, to be neglected, to be in pain and sorrow. These four categories of the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor are often called the quartet of the vulnerable. And they're not just in the heart of the Old Testament God. They're in the heart of Jesus. You think about the Gospels, and you think about the narrative of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you think about what it said about what was Jesus doing. In fact, Jesus began his ministry by quoting from Isaiah, saying that today the poor have the good news preached to them. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's good, Don. That's good, Pastor. That's absolutely the right thing to do. Today, the poor, listen, when you are poor and you are in desperate need, and someone comes along and pours just a little water on you, gives you just a little something to eat, you are thankful because you have great need. I have never lived in that kind of need. But Jesus began his ministry saying, the poor have the good news preached to them. And then everywhere he went, he ministers to people. Everywhere he goes, filled with the power and the presence of God, he is ministering to people, loving people. When we say love people, we're saying ministering to people. It's one thing to say, hey, I love you. I think that's James who says, if you say, you know, to someone... Hey, be warmed and be fed, and you have the ability to help them with that and don't do it, that's a bad thing. So how do we love people? Remember, God wants, our, he wants us to be filled with his presence so that we can take his presence into the world and show them the God of compassion and love and mercy that we talk about Jesus was on one of those campaigns walking through the countryside, as he did a lot, when he came to a city, a city you almost never hear of, a city called Nain. And this is in Luke chapter 7. And in, as he's entering into that city, he meets a funeral procession that's coming out. And the people were wailing and screaming. And, they, you know, they're, 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 it's just a tragic thing because that funeral possession, Luke chapter 7 tells us, was funeral possession of boy and it says he was the only son of his mother who was a widow you catch that jesus he's got a two for one here the fatherless the orphan uh, the fatherless the widow the poor and and the foreigner and jesus meets this widow coming out she's a widow and, she, and she's losing her only son. Now listen, in the days of Jesus, in the days of the Israelite community, a woman had very few rights. A woman depended upon her husband. It was very much a patriarchal society where men ruled. I'm not going to get into that today. I'm just saying that's the way the system worked. And to be a widow would be a bad thing because you were easily taken advantage of. You were vulnerable. And to be a widow who was losing her only son, come on. And Jesus sees this. I think Jesus understood the, the culture and the life that this woman was looking at. And he had compassion for her. Not just because he was losing her son, but because he knew what kind of life she would be looking at as a widow without any children living in that day. And the Lord saw her and his heart went out to her. That's what we're supposed to feel. When we are filled with God's presence and we look at people and we see their need our heart is supposed to go out to them. Now, again, I'm telling you, I'm confessing to you, I'm not good at that. That's why I said, God, help me. Help me to love people on the inside. I know what it's like, and I know what I'm supposed to do on the outside, but I want to have that heart. If these people mean that much to you, God, I want them to mean that much to me. And I'm telling you, it's a work in progress, but God healed that boy. God raised him from the dead and gave him back to his mother. And I just kind of picture in my mind what that was like. You know, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of, wow, a lot of, a lot of people, wow, look at that, you know. And they were all talking about it that day. And, th- and that evening, they all went home to their houses. And I can just imagine that that woman went home to her house with her son. And all she knew was that she was no longer looking at a hardship and destitute life. She was looking at a life where God had provided for her because her son was healed. That's what she cared about. Well, that clock keeps ticking. And uh, I'd love to just keep going through this. But let me just say, it didn't just stop with Jesus. The New Testament church understood what the law was about. The New Testament church understood the heart of God. And so when you read through the New Testament, you'll find in Acts chapter 6, what is one of the first things that the New Testament church does? It provides for and makes sure the widows are taken care of. We are going to be different than the rest of the world. We are going to care for the needy and the vulnerable people among us. And so that's what the New Testament church did. They cared for those widows. In Romans chapter 15, you can hear as Paul is asking these uh, these, uh, Gentile churches in the areas where he's working, he said, take a collection because they're having a really hard time in Jerusalem. There's a famine there and they need our help. So Paul said, let's take up a collection for the poor. So there's the poor. James says in chapter 1, verse 27, that real religion, you want to talk about being a Christian... True Christianity is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. It was their culture. They knew what God wanted them to do. So that's how you act justly. This is really a terrible, uh, I would get a, like a bad grade in homiletics because I just finished point one. And I'm going to do points two and three really quick. Are you ready? Hang on. So do justly love mercy. What is that about? Why did, why did Micah say that? Why did Micah... Did, was it just, did you just sound good? Hey, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. <laughs> no, no, no. Micah put those three things together and connected them for a reason. Very often in the Old Testament, almost always, when, when we talk about justice, we connect it with the character the quality of mercy. Now, come on. You understand this, Right? What do you want? Do you want to be judged according to what you deserve? Or do you want to get mercy? mercy? Absolutely. Every time, God, don't give me what I deserve. Give me mercy. And so Micah says, do justice. Help those people. And, and don't, don't think like this. Well, isn't it partly their fault? Don't they deserve this? Shouldn't they be? held accountable for X, Y, Z, whatever it is that's not the way we're supposed to do justice we're supposed to say they need help, I have the ability to help I'm helping let me tell you how this plays out in real life Paula and David are driving down the road in America and we come to a stoplight and there's a person asking for help alongside the road (laughs) Remember I said, I'm asking God to help me. And um, inside my head, I'm saying, come on, guys, there's work everywhere here. You got your health, you got, I can see you, you got a dog, you're feeding the dog. I mean, anyway, I could just go on and on about the what, I, and I'm thinking about, you know, do they deserve it? Paula is sitting there, cannot look at them because if she looks at them, she will break down with extreme compassion and mercy. And she wants to help every person. And her thought isn't, do they deserve it? Her thought is, I want to help them. I wish I were more like Paula. Do justice and make it rooted in mercy. Mercy is what God wants us to show. When we try to do justice without mercy, it becomes about what we think a person deserves and what we think they're worth. They're worth more than you have in the eyes of God. So do justice with mercy. When we show mercy, it's because that is the character and nature of God. And God wants us to be like him. And then he says... Walk humbly. What does that mean? Why is that connected to justice and mercy? Walk humbly. You remember we read earlier in Deuteronomy, and God says through Moses, do this, do this, do this, and at the end of all of that, he said this verse, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that's why I command you to do this. Remember that there was a time when you were the oppressed, Remember that there was a time when you were slaves in Egypt and you wanted mercy. You wanted justice. Remember that there was a time you were in that place. And don't forget that. Don't be so narrow-minded that the moment you are in the place of goodness, that you forget what it was like to be in that place of need. We do this humbly because we don't have anything anyway. What do you have that God did not give you? Your health, your education, your money, your life belongs to God. And for me to think that I'm such a good person because I did this is the height of hypocrisy justice with mercy but without humility brings pride I don't want that for you I want you to help people and I want you to think God thank you that you gave me the opportunity and that I was able to use whatever you gave me to reflect your character and your nature in the person's life and when I do that with humility it's good for me It's good for me. I don't want to become prideful. And that's what happens when I think I am the giver of justice and the giver of mercy, and it's all about me. But when I do it humbly, remembering that there was a time I was in their place. There was a time I was lost. There was a time when I didn't know Jesus. And God had mercy and compassion on me. And when he looked at me, he didn't give me my... Justice, he gave me his mercy. So you see, when Micah says, do justice, he knows what he's talking about. He's saying, you know those people that God wants you to help. And then when he says, do it with mercy, because if you try to figure out whether they deserve it or not, you'll be doing it on your terms. And God says, do it on my terms, just help them. And then when God says, do it humbly, he's saying, that's for your sake. So you don't become prideful and think that it's by your own hands that you've done this. Justice that's rooted in mercy and motivated by uh, justice that's rooted in mercy and motivated by humility is what God wants us to do. As I said earlier, every society, the, the, the society that the law was given in had a specific type of society. It was hierarchical, it was Patriarchal, it was a tribal society, and if you lost contact with the land, if you were a widow and you lost contact with the land, you lost almost all of your rights. So, what am I saying? Well, I don't know exactly what kind of society uh, that we all live in today, in that sense, it's very different. But the point is not that you just take care of the orphan and the widow and the fatherless and the foreigner. In fact, Jesus broadened that quite a bit. Jesus said, you know, there's going to come a time when I'm going to gather it in and the righteous I will gather in. I will say, you are righteous because I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and I was in jail and you visited me. And those righteous people said what? Lord, we never saw you that way. We didn't ever see you naked or hungry or, or, or in jail. or we, we never saw any of that. You, you, you remember this? And what does Jesus say? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. You did it to me. I'm telling you, if you want to get like an A plus next to your name in heaven, or however that works. Do it to the least of them. Do it to the orphan, and the fatherless, and the widow, and the foreigner, and the person that needs a drink, and the person that needs clothing, and the person that's in jail. Whoever you do it to, Jesus said, when you do those acts of compassion and love, it's like you're doing it to me. And Jesus will not forget that. You are created in the image of God. Right? Isn't that what Genesis 1 says? God created man in his image. You are, as the image of God, to be God's representative in this world. When they see you, they should see God. That's what being God's image is about and you most represent God. You image God the best. You look like God the most when you seek the welfare of others. You want to look like God? You want to be the image of God? Seek the welfare of others. It's a bit quieter this week than it was last week because, right, look, I love that part where we say, love God with all your heart. That's the good part, right? That's the, that's the, that's the part where it's me, me, me and God. But then Jesus says, but it's more than that. It's about loving your neighbor like yourself. If you're going to be like God, love people. Father God, thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you looked upon David stand its loss one day. And you saw what justice would look like and you had mercy upon me. God, thank you. God, I I pray that as we walk from here today as your people, I pray, God, that Holy Spirit walk with us just as we said last week. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Holy Spirit, walk with us. And as we see people today, let us see them differently than we've seen them ever before. Let us look upon people who are in great need with compassion. Let us do justly to them. Let us make sure that we do what is right with them. And let us do it in mercy. And God, give us a humble heart so that we may reflect your image in a way that we bring glory and honor and praise to you. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us not to just be with you. Help us to reflect your image in the world that we live today among the people that need to know you. Help us to love them in this way, in action.